I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. All right, Chris, our, our producer, uh, thanks for putting this together like always. Robbie, thanks for being on board. Uh, we've got a, a, a gentleman I've known for some time. I think 2004 or five, Raj, is when I first met you at a YPO event. I uh, met your brother David a bunch of times, and uh, yeah. a couple of my good friends are good friends with you and, and uh, speak unbelievably highly of you. I, I, I haven't had the, oh, the pleasure to get, to get enough time with you, but maybe in the future we will. Um, so uh, I, I, I like to say uh, we're blessed to have you on our, on our show because uh, you know, our, our goal is to tell stories, stories from, uh, from rags to riches, stories that, that uh, shape our industries, and stories that, of, of businesses that become top tier in their industry to understand how they did it. And if we can understand how they did it, maybe we can apply some of the, 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 uh, the values, some of the strategy, right? Some of the differentiation to our own businesses. And that's, that's kind of the goal is to inspire, inspire other people, young and old, to get out there and go after it and use our stories as, as some of their, uh, to, to in, in some of their own stories, right? So that's what we're doing. And, and uh, blessed to have you today, Raj. Thanks for being here. Terrific. It's great to be here and great to see you again. And, all right, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to hammer you. We're going to pepper you with questions, Rob. Okay. Rob and I. Robbie and I are going to pepper you with questions. And, <laughs> and uh, Raj, we just expect you to kind of just, just go after them, right, any way you want to. Um, we usually start with your story, right? Where, you know, where you, you know, how did you grow up and what shaped you as a, as a business leader, entrepreneur? Uh, you know, where did you get your mindset to lead? Because I've watched you lead from a, uh, a business that was kind of local and, and regional to now a global business. Um, it's, it's uh, something it's not possible. People don't think it's possible to do in many of their industries. And I believe like you believe the sky's the limit. If, if you, if you have the vision and the execution and the team that you can put behind you. So if you could maybe start from the beginning, okay, where, where did this mind of Raj start family <laughs> and all that? And then, uh, and then, and then we could start with the business and how that came about as well. Sure. Well, a little family history. My parents came to this country from India in the 1950s. And they settled in the Chicago area. My father, uh, my late father was an engineer, got an engineering degree in India, went to graduate school at the U of I and uh, ended up uh, 
uh, working at the architectural engineering firm of Skidmore, Owings and Merrill coming right out of the U of I. And so that's how we ended up in Chicago. And so I was born and raised here. Uh, we, we started out in the South suburbs out in park forest, Flossmoor. And, uh, I, I, I ended up moving downtown as a single man <laughs> up North <laughs> as a married man uh, up to Deerfield, raising three kids. And, and now I'm back uh, downtown as a uh, single man again. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and so that's, uh, my parents obviously very influential in my life. Um, uh, they came here with less than a hundred dollars in their pocket and, you know, just the, the, the American dream working hard. Um, they had some mentors along the way, you know, they, they would talk about, yeah, they worked hard, but so did a lot of other people. But what, what they got in America, they couldn't even get in India. And that was the support of people here in this country who just looked after them. And, and, uh, um, and so that was huge. And then, you know, my, my dad also, uh, for his career always said there was a lot of luck involved. And so again, there was a lot of people in India who were very talented, just like him. He decided to go right. They went left and he ended up having just a fabulous life in the, in this country. And so that's also one of the values that has, has stuck with me that, uh, not to get too full of myself that, you know, it, yeah, we we're trying to do a lot of things, right. We work hard, you know, we play to win and all that kind of stuff, but also realize that luck has, has, uh, uh, uh plays a good part in, in all of our success in my view. Sure. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, I really believe, you know, the harder you work, the more, the more lucky you are. Right. And, that's yeah, true, and, and it's kind of like you, you know, uh, luck comes. I mean, you, you you work through problems and calm challenges instead of problems, right? Don't get defeated by that that uh, short term uh, loss, right? Get through it, learn from it, and 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 you will get lucky, right? Uh, compared to compared to feeling defeated, and boy, I, I don't want to ever feel that 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 uh, defeat again, and never going back to it, right? So so I, I oh yeah, you know, I failed many times. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Just got to keep about, getting back up. <laughs> well, talk about that. Talk about you know fail, failing and, and and learning from the failures, right? And and how that's how that's been a part of your life as well, and your and your father's probably. Sure, you know, and um, so for me, uh, our company's fifty three years old, and my dad started it back in nineteen sixty seven. Um, I ended up attending Claremont McKenna College out on the West Coast and Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, getting this management engineering degree and also mechanical engineering. So joined dad right out of college, been there, what, 36 years now, had different roles in the company. Now, I, now I'm chairman. And, and just, you know, some of the things I've, I've learned along the way is that one of the big changes is, or big things is that business is continually changing. And so what I saw just from observing, you know, from not being in a management position, but seeing other companies, is they seem to follow this arc, you know, where they're on the upswing, they sort of peak and then they kind of go down and some, a lot, many of those don't even exist today. And so why is that? And it's because they fail to innovate and they fail to adapt to what's changing. And the, that's, ha you know, that's happened since the beginning of time. And so that's one of the lessons learned for me is that you have to keep trying 
And if it doesn't work, you know, we've all heard this fail fast and, and learn from your mistakes, get up and, and try the next best thing. The, uh, one of the influential books I read is a much younger man was by the guys from Intel, um, Andrew Grove, the, the, and the title, I love the title. It was only the paranoid survive. And so, you know, he I talked, like, I like it. yeah, only the paranoid survive. So there's always something where I always, you know, should look inward and outward at our business to see what's next, but don't be afraid to innovate. And so when I look at my mistakes, of course I've made mistakes, um, as we've transformed our business, but the, maybe the biggest mistake I made when I took over from my father was just trying not to mess it up and mm -hmm. rather than trying to take it to the next level. And so the, I took over running the day to day back around 1997 and it was the go, go nineties and everything was great. And, you know, we, we designed mechanical and electrical systems for buildings, the infrastructure for buildings, great time for real estate, everything we did worked, you know, and then boom, 9-11 hits, uh, we go into a recession and all of a sudden it's my first time when I'm in charge where, um, you know, you, you got to start making some decisions. And so what happened was I was way, way too conservative about, looking at this as an opportunity as business goes down because I'm in a service business and, and, and so, you know, the raw material for our business is brain power. And so what I did was I was way too conservative in the sense of waiting till the recovery was well underway before I started to try to hire people again. And by that time, all the good people are already spoken for. And so, um, so it was a lesson learned and there was other things too that went with that is always look forward, look for that opportunity. And so when the financial crisis hit in 2008, that was even worse. I mean that, you know, we remember how, how, how uh, dreadful that was, but looking back on that lesson learned from 2001, we got, we were very aggressive with hiring people. And so we've always stayed financially stable. We, we operate with no long-term debt. And, and so we had the firepower to go out and get people in a down market. And it really was one of the, the best things we've done because we, we were able to equip ourselves because we were also transforming our business where we design more complex buildings now like data centers. And so uh, they're very hard to find in an up market but in 2008, it, it was really helpful for us. So that's one, I, one example of, of taking, learning from failure and, mm -hmm. and turning it into a positive the next time around. Now, did, now can you, can you uh, give us a visual of uh, you know, your, your dad starting the business? Uh, what, what gave him the courage to go out on his own and start a business when he had a great job with Skidmore? That, that, was, that was a big outfit, I'm sure he had a great job there security and all the things you think about in America, right? And, and what gave him the vision of, gosh, you know what, I want to do it on my own. I want to build my own business. Or what was the opportunity that took him there? And then, and then all the way through when you got involved in the business about how big it had grown and then you know, where, you are, where you were in 2008 and then where you are today. Okay, rapid fire. You're, you're not kidding with these rapid fire <laughs> questions. You know, yeah. 
So, yeah, so dad started it. It's Skidmore. Skidmore is a great company. You know, we still work with them today. Uh, he ended up going over to Perkins and Will, which is another Chicago based architectural engineering company, terrific company doing some iconic buildings all over the world. And he became chief engineer there. And, you know, in an architectural and engineering company, the architects are the kings and the queens. And, uh -huh. and so, you know, he always wanted to do his own thing. He had a really strong following um, from architects, both within P&W or Perkins and Will and around the city. So he thought he would go out and try it on his own. And so that's what he did. He, you know, a company of one. <laughs> uh, and then soon uh, some of the engineers from Perkins and Will followed him. And, um, um, and then even the architects at Perkins and Will and Skidmore wanted to give him work. So he was really good at what he did. And so he, he was able to start it that way and, and, uh, and grew our company into the largest mechanical and electrical engineering firm in Chicago. And so most of our business was in the Chicago area, working in commercial office buildings and, and doing some healthcare. So that's how it, that, that's how. Well, and, and most people would say, holy cow, man, you're doing you know, all this big work all over Chicago, one of the greatest cities in the, in the world. Uh, you know, can you handle all that? And, and, and uh, what was your mindset to, as you came on board to say, this is as, as big as it should ever get, or man, let's, let's grow it uh, nationally, globally and all that. I mean, how, how that happened? Well, every every generation looks at things differently. And so when I joined in 1984, you know, we were on the, it was sort of the, the cusp of the analog era and the digital era, meaning we still did most of our drawings manually. And so, um, you know, the pep talk my dad gave when I, and I had interned him for, with some summer, you know, for some summers and, and heard about the business just growing up. So I kind of knew, you know, what I was getting into. But he would say that, you know, he was the principal of the firm and the principals give their time away and you really make money on the people doing the production of the drawings and, mm -hmm. you know, the guys in the bullpen. And that's what we sat out in this open area, drew drawings and, and that's how the business worked. Right. Um, but slowly and then really quickly that began to change because in the digital world, the, uh, uh, you know, things go a lot quicker all of a sudden the drawings, the production of the drawings became more of a commodity every year. And, and then, you know, introduced globalization that came later where information and capital gets transferred instantaneously. Now there's a whole uh, huge labor market where they can produce drawings a lot cheaper than we can here. And so, you know, I was observing all of this. I was saying, you know, and I was, I was doing the jobs. I did a lot of mechanical engineering jobs. I first designed buildings, ran projects, ran the mechanical department, um, then got kicked up stairs, you know, started running more of the business. And I could see the margins being not crushed, but in some cases, you know, they weren't growing and, and because of this fact. And so I felt like there was a need to transform the business. We have to look we have to look at it differently. And, and again, that's how every generation looks at it differently. And that's when, um, you know, around that time, 96, 97, um, I started putting some changes in place to transform the business, to become m more global, get, I, getting out of the commodity engineering business, going into more 
um, complex things mm -hmm. where it, it wasn't so fee driven. And, and, and I can give you an example The we, we really got our start when, when dad started working with the Chicago board of trade back in 1968, you know, he would tell the story that that was the big job that put us on the map. And, and in 1968, the board of trade was an old building. Even then sure. they were renovating it. None of the incumbent firms wanted it. It was a really messy job. He was hungry. He wanted work. So he got it, did a great job. And what we ended up doing was uh, all of the exchanges in Chicago, because at that time, if you, if you look back, Chicago became a big futures and options market. Um, we kind of owned the derivatives market here in Chicago, a lot of innovation going on. Mm -hmm. So there's new floors being built for the board of trade, the Chicago mercantile exchange, the options exchange, the Midwest stock exchange, and we did all of them. And so, um, that put us on the map with financial services firms. We started doing more work with the traders, the market makers, the banks. All of that was a great ecosystem for us. But again, you know, what started happening to them? Technology. Yeah. And so the trading floors today are dying or dead. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we saw, the next generation saw, was the advent of electronic trading. And so if you think about it, you know, in one case, our, our one market is going away, the open outcry exchanges, but there was a huge opportunity to take advantage of electronic trading because it's all electrical and mechanical systems. That's, that's 80% of the cost of these trading floors that are being built wow. in offices. So we, we pivoted and went all over that. And so, um, you know, a lot of these jobs we can't talk about, but we started working with these high frequency traders um, that the market makers, there's a, there's a very large hedge fund that's based here in Chicago, who probably know that name. Um, we, you know, we've done 20 of their offices globally. And so that is how we transform the business by looking at it differently, understanding how our customers needs change, but also understanding what we were good at. Our, our, we were always good at, at working with financial services firm. We understand their industry. And so we adapted to the next best, next thing. With that, it wasn't just doing the engineering though, because think about communications um, with, you know, in, in the internet, <laughs> nobody knew what it was, or we didn't at least, you know, in, until the late eighties, early nineties. So telecommunications, um, that's, that's when it started emerging. And so in addition to doing mechanical and electrical, we created a technology group to, to do that. To, so selling more services to existing customers. And it's a natural thing to do low voltage systems with the medium voltage systems. Mm -hmm. So that helped us grow our business. And, and uh, I mean, I, I could keep going on and on. And then from that, um, the, everyone's got Facebook or LinkedIn or, or multiple things, you know, the financial services firms were the first ones who we saw who had these data centers, the backup data centers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we created a group called our mission critical group to design data centers. And, and wow. so, um, and now today, 
um, not only are we big with financial services firms, but with three out of the five largest technology firms in the world, I would name them. But again, it, there's all these NDAs and everything. We are designing data centers all over the world for them. Awesome. And so that's how, that's how, again, we transformed the business by looking at it differently, taking some chances. It was not a straight line. You know, it wasn't like, hey, let's just go do this and everything's going to work out perfectly. Lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but it, it's, it's yeah, been yeah. a cool so, ride. So, let me, so you're, you made me think about so many things, and I, I, want, to, I want you to keep going because your story is amazing, right? But I, I, I think about so many things as you, as you talk about your story. I mean, one, one thing I, I always say is differentiate or die, right? I mean, in my businesses, they've changed just the same as yours. And, and, if, and I, I read a book years ago that I always recommend to people. It's an easy read, and it's just Blue Ocean Strategy. Have you heard that? I have not. Blue Ocean Strategy is just a book about, about exactly what you're doing and what you, your mindset. You, you could write this book. I mean, and, and I, I think exactly the same way now, but I didn't, you know, 20 years, 25 years ago. Uh, the bottom line is it's, it's, if you don't differentiate, you know, just, just figure that you're going to be a commoditized product and, and, you, and you're going to struggle to stay alive. You may be in a, in a business today that's, you know, very profitable and, and uh, very rewarding. But, but tomorrow it could change because more people see that industry and they, get, they, they push the industry with technology to get more efficient than you if you're not thinking forward, right? And so, so basically about swimming out, if you think about a red shark infested waters, right, where they, they're yeah. just nipping <laughs> each other's ass, right, and, they're, and, and their fins, whatever, and it's a bloody, bloody waters. Your, your focus <laughs> is to swim out beyond them and, and away from them in blue waters. And what does what, is, what, what does that but differentiation, right? So the commoditized shark-infested waters are not, not a good place to be, as you and I both know. You can swim out in the, in the blue waters. It's, the only way you do it is by differentiating so strong that your customers look at you differently as, uh, as, as, a, as a great partner because you have, you have uh, ideas, innovation that your competition doesn't have, right? So I, and I think about what you're doing. You're constantly doing that. You're constantly reinventing and reinventing as – technology continues to advance and, and opportunities you know, continue to arise with that. So it's really, it's really cool to, to, hear, to listen to your story because no, that's what I think about every time, every time you pivot, right? Every time you, 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 you have that little that challenge, you recreate yourself. And initially, I, I, and, and we also learned that through that book and others I read um, that uh, very often second generation or a new team uh, buys a company or, 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 they, or, or old you know, second, third generation coming into a business and they, they, they have that protective mode, right? That they're about protecting yes. and, and not losing this, this great uh, golden goose, right? And, and with that mindset, often they lose it all because they're, they're not the entrepreneurial, uh, innovative uh, company that once was, that your dad kind of, you know, started originally serving people, right? So, so I, lo- I love that. You know, we, we, we've got a, a few stories on our podcast that, that intertwine with all the stuff you're saying. Um, we, we have a, a gentleman, Anthony Saliba, who was a, a great trader of the 80s and 90s, who uh, invented technology that he eventually sold. And he's got technology today. He's growing in the Chicago market. Anthony Saliba is an amazing guy. You should listen to his story in, in ditch, on Ditch Digger. But um, bottom line is uh, he, he was part of the team that was or the, the group that was going to buy the Chicago uh, Stock Exchange uh, before, before Trump's election. If you remember um, – uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the um, people were criticizing uh, Chicago and, and uh, the Chinese for about, for about buying this market, China, you know, yes. China money. And it, was no, an and it was an entrepreneur, not like the Chinese government. It was a, it was a Chinese entrepreneur that was partners yeah. with Anthony. 
And Anthony uh, and this, this gentleman worked so hard to have the deal done. It was kind of done. And uh, it was approved by the state, the city, and it was, they're ready to close. And then after that, that, it was publicized and Trump actually said something you know, negative about it, not really knowing the whole story, um, that, that, that deal crashed. The, the, the New York Stock Exchange bought the Chicago Stock Exchange, I, right? I, I think you may have heard you know, all this story. Yeah, um, it's been a lot of consolidation. Yeah, and they basically ended all, all job and opportunities there where Tony would have had many jobs there. It would have been a, would have been a, a vibrant, uh, a vibrant not, not like it once was, but he had, he had a, uh, his technology was going to be uh, put in place and he'd have great jobs out of Chicago there. And that, that all kind of went by the wayside with the New York Stock Exchange buying instead. But anyway, you know, long story, but that kind of, it, it makes me think about, again, that, that great uh, mecca that that once was, and it's nothing today, right? And, and if those traders didn't change, you know, what they did, um, boy, they're, 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 not, they're not doing so well today, right? Unless they really reinvented themselves as, as you and I exactly. have to do business. So that, right. that's, that's, uh, that's really cool stuff. I, I appreciate uh, where you went with all that. Um, sure. tell, me, tell me about you as a kid, watching your dad and, 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 and watching, watching him, you know, jump into business, taking risks. You, you know, I know your, your brother's an entrepreneur also and a business leader. What, what, what was that family dynamics that created this, you know, the, the Raj of today and, and David, David also and, and, and this, uh, this mindset of leading, leading people and, and building business that you guys have? Yeah, you know, um, I, I didn't think as an eight-year-old I'd be doing that. You know, I had other thoughts. I loved playing sports, and so I was all about that. And and uh, and then, but and also growing up, um, you know, I would hear like as I mentioned before, I heard all these stories about the business, and and just kind of fell in love with it. Just the whole idea, not only the technical part, but just the business part of the business. Um, but then also I, I've always liked history and, and, uh, political science, economics and things like that. And so I wasn't sure, you know, it, in back in 1979, when I was applying to schools, the, um, it, it's, it was a time when you, you went in and you said, okay, I'm going to be an engineer or I'm going to go into business or, you know, it, you didn't have this undecided category necessarily, yeah. but there was one school that had this program and Claremont McKenna college out in California, one of five Claremont colleges. Um, it's kind of unique in that sense. A lot of schools have it now, but you didn't have, they have a management engineering program, but you didn't have to declare your major until sometime during your sophomore year, as I recall. And they're really good at history and political science, all that stuff I love. So that's where I went because I wasn't sure. And, um, and sometime during my freshman year, you know, I had decided that, you know, I still love all this stuff. Uh, I still read a lot of books about history and things, but um, the, uh, uh, but I want to do, I want to go into dad's business. And so there's that they have this three, two program with different engineering schools and after three years at Claremont, I ended up going to WashU in St. Louis because, again, back in the early 80s, it was be before all this uh, emphasis on the environment and everything. It was one of the few schools that had a program in building science, building sciences. There's a lot of them now, again. So that's mm -hmm. how I ended up there. And uh, there was a very influential, influential teacher there named Bill Code who, uh, in addition to my father, was just uh, a, a wonderful teacher, able to, he taught me 
the importance of being able to take complex topics, top, complex engineering topics, and how to explain them um, to lay people. And, mm. and that's one of the things that stuck with me with him, as well as um, him uh, really helping to educate me. Awesome. And, and uh, yeah, when I, when I think about, you know, what you're saying there, right, the mentorship, the stories, um, you know, for me, I, I didn't care if my kids went in my, my businesses. Uh, and, and today, two, uh, two of the first three in the working world are in my businesses, right? One, one my son's the CEO now of all our companies, YPO now as well. And my daughter, Janelle, is running our national business. And they're 33 and 31. I have a 30-year-old that's an attorney for Ernst & Young and a 19-year-old son that just graduated high school. But, but uh, you know what? I love telling the stories. And I, I, love, I love the customers that, that I was able to serve over the years. And I love the teammates on my team, right? So I'd come home after working, and you know, I make dinner a few nights a week usually, and uh, and I would tell all the stories what went on at work, right? And I and, and they're always so fun to tell. I didn't realize I was, at, you know, my my daughters, my son, I, I was inspiring them to want to be in this dirty business I'm in, right? Um, because that you know they they didn't think they wanted to be paving, you know, at the time paving driveways or parking lots, um, but eventually as they you know went through college and had other jobs and all that. They came back to our business saying, "Man, I loved it. They you know, really wanted to be in it because they loved uh, the stories. They loved our teammates. They loved what we were doing, and they loved the growth. And, and by the time they got out of college, there's a lot of opportunities. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I, I hear very often I hear friends of mine saying, I just, you know, in, in our businesses like yours and mine that might be smaller, they're saying, you know, I sure don't want my kids doing this for the rest of their lives. You know, I'm, I'm telling them go to college and go find a good job, go be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, right?" And, and yet, I'm glad I didn't say that or, or, or you know, uh, position it that way to the, my kids because, you know, I wasn't a big fan. Of, I didn't go to college. My wife didn't. And I wasn't a huge uh, – um, I wasn't a fan because I didn't really understand what, what I would have gained in college, I guess, at the time. But bottom line is, uh, you know, I believe if you tell, if, if you tell passionate stories about what, what you're having fun with uh, in business or life, you know, your kids will probably follow some of those stories, the ones that they choose that they want to, right? Um, with, with no pressure that they have to go into the business or they have to be part of it, right? Um, you, have, you have kids of your own. And, and, and I do. I have kids. But, you know, just uh, my dad told me not to go into the business because it's a tough business. And, you know, and, and I think back, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that they came to this country pretty much penniless, you know, and worked their way up. So they didn't really have all of these opportunities to pick what they wanted to do, right? right. And so someone offered him a job. He goes, I'm, I'm there. Right. And so it, it wasn't, you know, when, when you asked for, what are you looking for? What were you looking for in uh, an offer? You know? And, and so it wasn't. And, and so what I, and so he was good. He said, this is a tough business. You should go into medicine. And, you know, I, I don't like blood and I partied too much anyways, you know, <laughs> but it, it ended up all right. And so when I, you know, raising my three kids and, and so mine are, 29, 27, 25, respectively, and I can tell you a little bit more about them. I, I, I tried to learn from that, and I said, look, you have some great opportunities. You, you, you're fortunate because you're getting a great education. You have the wherewithal to, to choose whatever you want to do. Please go out and do whatever you're passionate about. And, you know, I'm here to, to serve as a, as a mentor, share my experience with you, but in no way do, do, do I am expecting you to get into the business 
my youngest one, Jared, the 25 year old was at ESD. That's the name of our company was there uh, for a while, but what he's decided to do, he wants to join the air force. And so he's, uh, he's going to be enlisting in a couple months and you know, that's great. That's his, his life path. Um, awesome. Uh, the middle one, Al, is in Brooklyn, social worker, doing God's work, um, and, and just tough job as a giver. And, and uh, uh, my oldest, Alexa, uh, moved up to Deerfield, where she grew up, got married, and, and is a graphic designer. So the, uh, they uh, married a great guy. And so they're they're all going in their own different ways. And mm-hmm. and, and, and I, I'm proud nice of them that. because they're they're – they're pursuing their own paths. And that's what you want. You want to pursue it, but, but if, if their path that, that they want to pursue is in your business because they're passionate about it. That, that would oh yeah. Too, right? no, that'd be great. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, David very well. I know, have another mm-hmm. brother, Mark and assist, and the oldest is Rita, our sister and her son works, works for me at the company. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, when, when you when you think about uh, you know your 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 business path currently and and where you want to go with this business, you're the, you're the chairman, but you're a young chairman. You are are you still well, the visionary? <laughs> I mean, well, you are right. I mean, are you? You know, I'm in a, WPO. I'm not in YPO anymore. I yeah. I am. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. But it's not called WPO anymore. Get this right. It's called YPO Gold. All right. Take away the G, it's YPO old, but exactly. Gold <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I I'm in I'm in that as well, right? But uh, uh, see, I'm so old about, I can't remember. What's that? I'm just kidding. So when you, when you think of, when you think about the the future, the, are you the visionary still, or you have other people that are, that are visionaries in your in your businesses? Or yeah, what? we have a lot of visionaries. You know, the uh, um, sometimes too many, right? <laughs> but you know, it, it's great. I, I'm really excited about the future of our company. Um, Right now, I, I serve as executive chairman, so I still have an active role in the company. But, you know, we've put that next wave into place. And so um, the what I've seen too many times happen in the architectural, engineering, real estate, construction world is that the people who are running it don't think about succession planning uh, until it's too late. Mm. And and so they either end up selling the company or, which is okay, you know, or or just the, the transition doesn't happen. And so I, I believe in, in making that happen early. And, and so we've done that and that enables me to, to focus on, on the things I'm, I'm more passionate about. Quite frankly, the CEO that we have right now, Zach house, he's much better at execution than I am, especially as we've grown. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a Marine. And so he's got that discipline, you know, and, uh, he doesn't have a different wake up with a different idea every morning like I do, you know, and so it's, <laughs> it's great. So we, we're good at balancing each other, but so I've been going into things, you know, I, I'm still, um, uh, I help with the business development. I, I am, uh, help with mentoring our, 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 our younger leaders. Um, the, I, I've been getting very, very involved now, because with COVID and, 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 and how it affects buildings, it's pretty profound. And so as it relates to indoor air quality and, and um, wellness, 
I've been getting involved with that, with, with doing different speaking engagements and, and research in that area. And so I'm, I'm got a lot to do and, and I, and I like it. And so the other thing that we've done, and I don't think I touched on this earlier because we've become so specialized, we're doing everything from the world's tallest building in the middle East to the, you know, one of the largest data centers in the world here in the United States. And, you got to have the best and the brightest and you got to have a collaborative group. And so we, we really have decentralized things because there isn't anyone who understands everything that we do now. And so it can't come from the top down. And so right. we've decentralized things. And, and so we have a lot of, of great creative people. And that's what I find so exciting about ESD. You know, if, if I want to go learn about 5g, I call this one guy, if I want to learn about advanced controls, or we have a, uh, a great lady who knows all about that. If I want to talk about tall buildings, you know, I can keep going on and on. We have all of that. And, and uh, it, it's really a, a fun place to be right now. How cool is that, right, to have so many of those great minds on the team compared to, you know, when you were younger, I'm younger, what, what I do, we go outside and we, we, we try to align ourselves with friends that have the knowledge we don't have and, and we you know, ask for some coaching or whatever and try to form relationships of trust with engineers or uh, you know, whoever, whoever we're looking for that has the knowledge we don't. But how, how cool is it as you grow to have a lot of those great minds all on your team, right, that can be, you know, aligned and learning constantly in their own kind of lane, right? Um, so that, that's got to be a blast to watch that happen. And, it, it is fun. Um, yeah, it, it's fun to watch them grow. I, I, it's gratifying for me to, to see that. And... and um, so can, it, it, can you tell fun. me, uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned your mentoring and, and I, and I do as well. And I don't do it. I don't do it in a, a, stra a strategic way as much as I want to in the future, mentoring young leaders, uh, you know, Robbie that's, that's with us today as a young leader, in our, our organization, um, you know, an executive future executive, uh, in, in a short period of time, probably. Right. He's a great I guy. see he's wearing the sweater. So he's got oh, yeah. the, yeah, he drank the Kool-Aid. He drank the, the Kool-Aid. Yeah, the cardigan. <laughs> oh, it's a cardigan. Wow. Oh, yeah. You guys are really advanced. I think he thought he's, he's talking to a couple old guys today. You know, he's trying to appease us, right, with the cardigan. Yeah, I should be wearing the cardigan. Exactly. Me too. Me too. Where's my pipe? But, uh, so, so when you think of mentoring, Raj, does, you, does, uh, do, does uh, ESD have like a, a mentoring program that's uh, more like strategic or uh, – formulated or is it kind of just uh, mentor as it goes as you go or tell me about that well there's a couple of things so you know within our groups we rely on the teams within the groups for the technical mentoring because that's how we've all learned um you know you can op you can open a book and read it but until you're actually doing it that's when you really learn something mm -hmm. and um and so technical mentoring happens within the group we also have training that we offer um, we also encourage our, our people to go out and do their own training. We'll pay for it. But, you know, that's that when, when you see people taking responsibility for their own education, that's when that's what you like to see that both inside and outside. Um, and then we do have some mentoring programs within the company about leadership. And, you know, when when I talk to um, people about that, you know, what is leadership and and. Uh, you know, have you ever been to one of those uh, uh, seminars where you're talking about leadership and they go, what does it mean to you? And then they, you write a word up on the board and then everybody puts 
10 words and then you got a hundred words up there and, and then you start crossing them out, the ones that are similar and you, you know, you boil it down. And so for me, what's been really helpful is learning from the late Jack Welch about leadership. And he talks about the four E's. And, and so I talk about this all the time in our company um, because it's, it's, there's, it's easy to remember <laughs> and, and, and you could take any, like if you give me a leadership term, usually I could put it in one of these four E's. I actually added a, a fifth E called ethics. Okay. And so yeah, what do I look for? You know, is the person ethical? Can you trust them? Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's almost like a prerequisite, right? That, that, sure. that they have to be trustable. Is their word good? But the, so the thing he talks about is energy, you know, not are they bouncing off the walls, but is the person proactive? You know, do, does, does she want to come to work? Does she offer good ideas? Is, does, you know, does she want to succeed? You know, you want that person. And, and, and again, it's not always the person who talks the most or who's bouncing off the walls. Sure. It comes in all kinds of different forms. Absolutely. Second thing is, is she an energizer? And so, does she energize the people around her? Do people want to be at the company or on her team because she's there? So that usually means, is she a motivator? You know, and, and uh, uh, does, she prom does she help? Does she have a genuine interest in her subordinates or her peers or her clients in, in their welfare? You know, that's, that's, that energizes the people uh, around her. Um, the third thing is edge. So Jack Welch talks about edge. So, so many times, and, and I don't know if it's with engineers, especially because we're, you know, we're introverts or something, but um, a person with the edge faces confrontation or doesn't, doesn't avoid it, realizes that there's a problem, you know, so uh, confront the problem is able to make tough decisions. And, and so that's, the, that's what he meant by edge. And so quite often it could be asking that customer for, you know, when are you going to pay us or having that difficult conversation with the, uh, an employee, you know, those are kind of the things that you want to help. And I find myself having to talk a lot about edge yeah. with, with my up and coming leaders. And it's something I have to remind myself of, you know, I consider myself a nice guy, you know, and, and we're working with these customers for 30 years. Yeah. He'll pay us. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. but Hey, you know, I got to listen to my own advice. Yeah. And then the final thing is execution. Okay. And so in the end, leaders, all leaders have to deliver. And, and, uh, but execution, it, it, it's not always, did they get from point A to point B? Almost in every project, you run into obstacles. And so the, a good leader can find a way to work around those obstacles, whether it's getting the team or coming up with, getting the team together to come up with creative solutions or doing something else. That's what a leader does. And so um, when I get together with whether it's our seasoned veterans or our, our up and comers, I, that's how I look at it. And I try to talk to them with those five E's. And, I, and it's been very, very helpful. I love, I, I love it. And you know, the thing I think of when, when I look at a leader, I say, who's this person a leader? I mean, the question I ask myself is, do they inspire others to be better than they would be without them, right? 
are are they inspiring everybody you know people everybody around them to be to, to rise up and, and, and raise their game um, more than they than they would if that person wasn't around them right because if, yeah. if you don't inspire others to, to be better then you're not really a leader if you don't inspire others that that, that want to follow you that that want to that, that want to you know cry, crash through a wall for you right probably not a leader right. Um, if you're, if you're looking to hold people down and, and, and because you're afraid they're, they're going to, they're going to rise above you, right? Boy, you're probably not a leader. And, and those five things you just said, explain it perfectly. I love it. Well, we all have, have blind spots. Five, if you have those five things, you're going to inspire people to be great. And that's, that's what yeah, we're and, doing. And none of us are perfect. We all have blind spots. We may have blind, different blind spots in different situations. Sure. You know, what, what I've seen over the course of the year is we, or of course of my career as we evaluate promoting people, you know, some people are really well liked. They talk a good game. They always talk about what they're going to do. Everybody loves them, but they just don't deliver for some reason. They're always talking about what they're going to do. Okay. And, and, uh, or there's the person and I made this, this is another mistake I've made is that there's a person who always delivers. Okay. He always delivers. I could call this guy at 11 o'clock at night and say, I need this done. He will deliver every single time. But the problem is, you know, I don't know how many people he's going to run over on the way to getting delivered. So he's a, he's a nightmare with people. Okay. And so people don't want to be on the bus with him. They, they actually may want to quit. And so in the long term. Um, if someone doesn't fit the culture, even if they're your best person at execution, um, I learned the hard way that that's not such a good thing. But you know, you, you have uh, three core values, is that right? Three core yes. values. In your so when you, I, I mean, I saw the core values, but you can talk about those a little bit, but you know, I, I look at your core values and say, if they have those three core values, you know, they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to have a mix of all those things in there. And, even though they're a person that the one that gets things done, they execute well, you're probably going to understand that respect everyone is part of your core values. Hopefully over time, they say, you know, I got to be careful how I get things done. Right. If they're, if they want to be on your yes. team for the long haul. And, and uh, you know, if, if, if somebody, uh, somebody has the aspiration of being a leader, they, they better exude these three character traits. Right. And otherwise I'm not going to be there. Can you tell us about how those came about? Uh, yeah. Well, um, you know, the, again, learning from other companies, there's a lot of companies that put a lot of stuff on the wall and, and sometimes you wonder, you know, is it all BS or anything, but, you know, so first of all, we wanted to get to the root of what's really important and respecting everyone that there's a reason it's the first thing that's out there. Uh, and, and because it's true to our values, if, if there isn't respect in the, in an organization, especially a service organization like ours, we're not going to be able to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. Plus, you know, my dad created this family type atmosphere and I, I, I like that. I want that at the company. It's something that's not negotiable. Um, it, it doesn't matter what your position is. You know, everybody says hi, or I say hi to everybody. And, and, and the, uh, you know, I know sometimes it seems like, what do they say? The inmates are running the asylum, but you know, we listen to everyone or try to, and, and uh, that's just part of our, our culture. And, and I'm, and I'm very proud of the fact that, that we have um, 
a really good record of employee retention. And, and so um, the other thing that goes with that is in today's world, I, I mentioned to you about how we're decentralized. We, our success depends on people who are collaborators and sharers of information. And mm -hmm. so for us to come up with innovative solutions, like I said, designing these data centers or these, um, you know, zero energy buildings and it, it, it really does take a village. And so it, 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 there isn't one person in our organization who does it. We have to bring in other people. So by respecting everyone that, that is, is one of our, our core values. And then of course, working hard. Okay. And so the, uh, you may say, yeah, of course you're going to work hard, you know, but it, there, we don't measure how much time somebody spends in the office. We don't, those are old ways to measure productivity. You know, again, mm -hmm. and when I go back to the analog era, when I first joined, we had to sign in and sign out sheets in our company. And, and so you, we expect everyone to work hard. There is a, there's peer pressure that takes care of that, that if people aren't there and they're not committed, they kind of get, weeded out uh, on their own. But um, there, there's just this expectation that, that you're not going to let your neighbor down. You know, you're going to work hard and, and we're going to work as a team. And if you see your neighbor in trouble, you're going to reach out and help him or her. And mm -hmm. so that's the kind of stuff that goes with, with that. And, and we try to try to um, instill that and then play to win. You know, who, who, who wants to lose? Right. But, but, but the reason that's important for me is, and it goes back to the example of what I told you at the very beginning was when I first took over, I was playing not to lose. You know, I just, you know, dad gave me the keys to the car. Okay. Don't crash it. You know, just a, you know full tank of gas. Just don't, 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 don't you know. but Hey, let's play to win. You know, and what does that mean? It's, it's, first of all, we demand excellence. Um, but it's also goes to that risk taking, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go take those risks to, to, to make ourselves better. And, and, uh, so that's how I look at those three values and how they, they, they interrelate. Yeah. And while I was at LinkedIn actually speaks to your point, almost, uh, completely aligned, but the way that Jeff Wiener explained it was that the definition of leadership for him was inspiring others to achieve your mission and vision while upholding your culture and values. Uh, so it seems like it's perfectly in line like uh, uh, with the way that you're ultimately following through and executing on it, which obviously is one of your five E's. Uh, but I guess one of the questions I do have is a curiosity around how you apply your culture and values specifically into your performance management process. Uh, as you're evaluating employ employees and, and then eventually when it comes time to uh, decide who the eventual promotion uh, is awarded to or offered to, uh, do you guys align your mission and vision or your culture and values with performance management or is, are those two separate silos? No, no, it, they're, they're in there. And so, you know, we, we went online with all of this stuff. And so, you know, the other, th the thing that we're trying to do is, Encourage, encourage continuous reviews rather than somebody sitting at the end of the year, you know, going down this list the old fashioned way. And so, you know, we, part of it is just talking about our three values at almost every meeting and giving examples of what this means. Like when we have town halls, um, 
We have something called shout outs where anybody in the company can, can publicly recognize someone and, and show how they, they were um, adhering or, or, or glorifying one of our values. And then, then we have um, that is in the evaluation process. And so the, uh, we have the five E's in the evaluation process as well. And so again, if someone is um, delivered on everything they were supposed to do, but again, ran over people and people quit from his group, you know, the attrition rate wasn't so good in his group because they were leaving, you know, all that stuff we, we, we look at and take into account, but we don't, what we don't have is like a, a scoring system because a, a good part of this is subjective, you know, when, when you, when you, when you look at it. And so it's part, it is part numbers, but it, it's, it's also, there's a subjectivity to it as well, but we take all yeah. those factors in. And so that's why, uh, then we also have a lot of discussions about it too. And, and because it is somewhat subjective, uh, you know, when the, the things that people bring to the, to uh, the benefits that they bring to the company. And so it's hard, you know, and it should be, but th- right. that's how we do it. Yeah. Uh, is the subjectivity based on the personality or the experience that you, maybe the gap on the team that you're looking to solve for? Uh, and maybe there's intangibles that you can't actually quantify for that. I, I think there's intangibles. And then what I've also seen is just like in college, you know, you have some professors that are really hard graders and some professors give everybody A's, you know? And so yeah. uh, I, I, I'm skeptical of just giving a number for everything and then adding that number up and then looking, Oh, look at this score, you know? And, right. and, um, but then when you talk about some, something that somebody does where they're mentoring people, um, you know, how do you give a score to that or the impact that somebody has uh, on, on the organization from the, from the things that she may do. So that's why I think it's really important to have that conversation. Then you, you also see the improvement that people make, you know, say someone um, had to work on their interpersonal skills, you know, and maybe was more aware of it and, and, and made improvement in of that area. Okay, great. Let's recognize it. You know, I don't know how you put a number to that. Yeah. But, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So Raj, when you look at, uh, you know, tell, tell us about a couple of your toughest times in, in leading the business when, when you really had to pivot and do something different, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, over whether it be, you know, 2000, 2000, uh, you know, uh, 9-11, uh, 2008, or today with COVID. Tell us where, where you know, where, where you ran across a tough time and your team uh, pulled together, you know, with, the, with, the, with, with people with uh, with these five E's, right, uh, that, that, that you're grooming. You know, how, how do they – um, how do they show their strength and leadership to, to help you pivot and make change? Yeah, well, we're still in the midst of what's going on now, but I think uh, maybe 10 years from now, when I look back, I think I'm going to look back and probably say, this is the toughest time of my career. I thought it was 2008. I was always look back and, and talk about how we, how we got through that. So maybe I'll start with that because what, what what was different about 2008 than other recessions is in in most recessions they were somewhat mild or the ones I've been through mm-hmm. and and since we have a d- diversified business where we do commercial buildings data centers 
uh, mixed use, um, you know, maybe hospitals, maybe, maybe one or two of those sectors would go down, but the others would still be somewhat good. In 2008, everything collapsed. And so we were forced um, with, uh, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a tricky situation. Now, fortunately, we've always been financially strong, kind of waiting for that rainy day. I think in a service business, many companies do not make those tough decisions early enough and they take on too much debt for no reason. And, and so, you know, fortunately we had um, solid bank account and everything. I, I, I didn't really feel like there was an existential threat to the business, but I knew we were going to be hurt. So what, what I came out with was something called the survive and thrive strategy for that. We knew it was going to be painful, just gave, um, uh, the important thing was on the communication side, just being very transparent with our employees about here's what's going on. Um, you know, we're solid, but we've got these five clients who just went under who aren't going to pay us and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm sure you probably went through a lot of the, the same thing. And so, so the, what I learned from that was, just being very transparent with, with our employees. You know, we, we had some difficult layoffs we had to do eventually, but you know, also then surviving, right. But then thriving. So setting that vision for what were we going to do afterwards, you know, giving them hope, but real hope, not, not BS showing, okay, here's what's going on right now, but here's where we're going to, um, double down our efforts. I mentioned before about hiring some of the best people. You got to be careful if you're laying off people, but you're also hiring people. Right. But again, this is where the transparency is important. You know, we articulated what business lines we wanted to, to, to still um, support. And so that was a lesson learned that I'm applying to today. And today is even harder because it, it's easier in some ways, but it's harder because communications are so good that, you know, back in, in, in when 9-11 happened or that, um, you know, if we had to work at home 20 years ago, the technology wasn't there. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's a benefit, but it is hard when, you know, we have this pandemic, um, we have social unrest, we have so many things going on right now that are just disconcerting. And so open communication is, and transparency is really, really important. We're showing our employees our numbers. We are, are giving them straight talk about what we may have to do if, if the economy keeps slowing down. Um, we are talking about our vision for the future of, of where we're, we're still gonna invest heavily. And, and um, we, uh, just like 10 years ago, we are financially strong again. So no long-term debt, we're gonna get through this. But then we'll also, we have to always look at what's next. And so with the pandemic, what's happening? The, there's such a renewed interest on health and wellness. That plays to our strengths. We're extremely busy right now in certain areas because when they talk about indoor air quality, that's what we do. And so, sure. so um that's a that's a, an area for us. Or this whole thing about the distributed workforce or work from home. 
we embraced that three years ago because again, it's hard for us to find people. And so if, if, and we have offices in Chicago, New York, San Francisco, but now, it, you know, since we've embraced this work from anywhere type thing, we can hire people. We've got people working for us in, you know, 15 states. And, and so they don't necessarily have to come into the office. And, and so we didn't see a pandemic coming. We were just doing it for competitive reasons. Yeah. But now more of our clients are going towards that. And so they're, they're looking at um, moving forward, embracing, they're, they're going to have an office but it's going to be different and they're going to embrace this flexible workforce. But a lot of that's enabled by it and the stuff that we do. Right. So again, another opportunity, right? And so, yep. so we've positioned ourselves to take advantage of those two threads and, and uh, we're determined to become leaders in that assisting mm -hmm. in, in the yeah, helping yeah. companies um, get a distributed workforce, make that happen. There, there's a lot of technology and things behind the scenes that need to happen. And then secondly, with wellness and indoor air quality, we're quite can busy. You, there. You, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that, Raj. Can you tell me about uh, how, do you, how do you improve the indoor air quality? Is it like a whole new system or is there, uh, is there components you can add to a current system? You know, we, we, let's say we have a hundred, a hundred thousand square foot building in Schaumburg that we own and occupy some of, right? And uh, it's a, oh gosh, it's a 30-year-old system, right? Um, what do you, do you got to like swap everything out or can you add components to it to make it better? Or what do you yeah, you don't necessarily have to swap, swap everything out. You know, if it's designed to code, the um, many HVAC systems are very good. They have all the parts and pieces there. Now, if they're old, you may have to swap, swap those out. But as it... As it, as it relates to airborne transmission, okay? Mm -hmm. So let me back up. The, the most important thing you can do is, first of all, keep sick people out of the building, right? Sure. Through testing or new HR rules that say, hey, if you're not feeling well, we get it. Don't be a hero. Don't come in, right? We know that's not foolproof, especially since a certain percentage of the population is asymptomatic. They don't show signs. Right. So the second thing is listen to Dr. Fauci, practice the social distancing, um, wear the mask, because what happens is you don't know if the person you're talking to has the symptoms or has it because of what we just talked about. So through airborne droplets, they're talking to you, they cough, they laugh, they're just talking to you. It hits you in the face, goes in your eyes, nose, mouth, you get the disease. So the second most important thing, practice social distancing, right? Third thing is some of these droplets, they don't hit you in the face, but they hit surfaces, laying on the floor. So good hygiene. Again, common sense. Wash things down, wash your hands, don't touch your face. So that's, that's part of it. So where does airborne transmission come in? There's, they're still learning a, a lot about this novel virus they call it, right? Novel, because it's new. But based on other viruses, some of these droplets, the, the moisture around it evaporates and the, the virus becomes airborne. And they are tiny, tiny, really tiny particles that don't get picked up by filters. 
Okay, so this is what we're concerned with with airborne transmission. So this is the part we get involved with. So how do you, what do you do? The things you can do from your HVAC system is, first of all, dilute the concentration of those by bringing in more outside air, bring in more fresh air, right? And so many systems can do that. You, your, your HVAC system, you should be able to open it up, bring in more outside air. What you want to make sure as we get into summer is that um, your system is able to handle it, that it has the capacity to handle it. Run the systems longer. So maybe an hour or so before people get there and an hour afterwards. That further dilutes the concentration of the contaminants. Since you're bringing in more outside air, that means you're pressurizing the building with air. So that also means that you could turn up some of your exhaust systems. There's a lot of concern about the transmission of the disease in restrooms. So all restrooms are exhausted directly to the outside. So if you're bringing in more outside air into your office, turn up your restroom exhaust so you're exhausting more directly outside. And other, you may have a break room or a cafeteria. Turn those up um, while you're still pressurizing the building. Does that make sense so far? It does. It does. I, okay. I just don't know if I, like our building our age does have the capability to do all those things. Right? Well, you, you, you have to look at it. And then there's, yeah. there's other things like upgrading the filters in your air handling units. Um, and, and if you can get filters that are more efficient, they're, us they're usually better at getting those smaller particles, which the virus is very, very, very small. There's other things like air cleaners. You may have heard about UV lights or yeah. there's even bipolar ionization. You know, they make all this stuff sound scary and complicated. So they, so guys like me get hired, but the, uh, <laughs> um, and, and then, um, you know, there's also things you could do locally. So though, that's in your HVAC unit, but if you could picture, picture this, that a bunch of people are coming into your conference room um, unexpectedly or expectedly 15 people come into the room you know, sick people and healthy people are all ex exhaling. <laughs> and so um, there's local things that you could do, portable air cleaners with HEPA filters, or, you know, they make UV systems that go in the upper level of the ceiling. So it doesn't, it's not harmful to people. So sure. there's things like that. That's what we help and we consult on and, and help people. Wow. So, so how many, how many of your team members were, were capable already to be able to consult on these things and how many have, yeah, is there some certification or something that has to happen now for COVID different than otherwise, or can you tell us about that? Well, how many of our team members? Well, you know, I mean, that's what we do. We, we, we yeah. design systems that are, that meet certain lead requirements. There's also something that's emerging or it's been out there called well building. And I think you're going to see more, uh, 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 buildings getting certified because that's more about wellness, whereas lead is about energy and conservation yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well focuses almost exclusively on the health of people in buildings. And so now what's emerging is the scorecards where just like you have a lead scorecard, tenants are going to say, do you hit these 45 points? Uh-huh that a well building has and the landlords are going to have to answer that. And so what, what we're, what we're helping both sides on because we work with both sides is um, retrofitting buildings or just counseling building owners about how to meet the, the well building standards and then things that tenants can, I'm sorry. 
Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I love the way you know, you're, you're really moving in a direction right now. To, to, yeah. To, and then talking about to 10, it's also about what they can do. And the, um, now, but then also as looking for future leases, what should, what provisions should they put in the lease? That's what, that's where it's going next. Hmm. Okay. So think about this, Robbie. So, so Robbie started with us uh, in an organization we have called Site. And, and Raj, uh, Site is a, a new company we started a couple of years ago that, that, you know, two and a half years ago. Um, it was it was a it was a product we built as a service within the, our national our national business, Rabbi America, to uh, basically survey, assess pavements and then roofs and facades for buildings all over the country, and we can do it all over the world today, using drones and using satellites. Right. So we, we use drones in most in on most buildings that we have a kind of portfolio for Walmart distribution centers, let's say, or collages we do a lot of work for and others. And we fly these drones at every site annually. And, and basically, we document existing conditions. We document urgent needs. We, we build five and 10-year plans to maintain pavement. Pavements is our thing, right? And roofs, we yeah. also have great roofing consultants also. So pavements and roofs are our strengths. But then we have other, other people that are in, in the facade world or uh, HVAC. Uh, they want to get that, you know, take, you know capture the exterior uh, components on a building. Um, but... I, I look at this, Raj, as an opportunity, and Robbie's smarter than me. He's probably already ran this through his head, partnering with somebody like ESD to say, hey, we're out there already on thousands of buildings a year. And the average building we look at is a few hundred thousand square foot building. We have a bunch of, you know, a couple million square foot buildings also we do. Do a little bit in data centers, but not a lot yet. But so so we're, we're looking at going inside buildings to do things for our customers too. We're out there already, right, and capturing everything we can on the inside. So let's just say your team said, okay, Raybine or, you know, Site, our, our technology company, um, you're going to be at these 3,000 buildings this year for, for an extra, I don't know, 100 bucks or something like that. Send your, send your uh, drone engineer inside and, and drone or not, I don't need a drone for this, but let's capture the, these things inside that building. And you know what? We can give you a kind of a general idea of how they can improve uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, the health side of their building, the wellness side of their building, right? I mean, it might, might be something with it that could be done, right? It'd be a cool, cool idea. Pretty cool idea to explore. Yeah, that yeah. reminds me of, of one thing I wanted to mention too that we're doing. Um, we created this spinoff company called Cohesion. And what it does is, you know, what we're building through this and we're about to close our, our fundraising round and hopefully I have some good things to tell you in a couple of weeks. But the um, we're creating a digital twin of of the points that we that that we measure in our building system. So the digital twin meaning meaning we're measuring all these thousands of points in a building right now in the HVAC system, electrical systems, lighting, access control. I can keep going like twenty different subsystems in the building, but none of these systems can usually talk to each other. And so what what we're doing. Um, and we have a pilot program going on right now with Riverside Development at 150 North Riverside downtown in Chicago, where as it relates to indoor air quality, we're measuring things like the level of carbon dioxide in the system mm -hmm. and some other things, particulate, other particulate matter in the, in the system. And we can, um, the, the goal is over time is then to be able to automatically change things that happen in the building. So bring in more outside air into that conference room mm -hmm. because CO2 serves as a proxy for the amount of outside air. Those 15 people come into a room, the carbon dioxide level goes up, 
Yeah. We need more fresh air. Let's do it automatically, right? Or, you know, the, 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 how about that conference center where, you know, we have occupancy center sensors in the room. It's been used and we want the cleaning crew to come in there before the next meeting happens. Right. We can send signals automatically to the cr cleaning crew. And so say there's 10 conference rooms on a floor, you come down, you know, on your smartphone, you can read the carbon dioxide level or, or it'll tell you, you know, there's fresh air in there, fresh air, good to go. And also that it's been cleaned and it can direct you to exactly the right conference room to go into wow. rather than you picking one of 10 indiscriminately. So th those are just really easy examples, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff that you can do if you can build this digital twin and then tie in like the stuff you're doing maybe with the drones or any information. And so it, it's, uh, I, we're real excited about that. It's called cohesion. I like, and, I like that. I like the concept of the digital twin, right? Because you can do the same thing what we're doing with pavements and roofs and facades and all the other things we're doing, right? Um, you know, understand the customer's expectations of their property, understand their budgets, and then build a digital twin based on those things, right? Not, not a digital twin that's way beyond what they're ever going to spend, right? But something that says, yeah, that's who we are, that's our brand, and that's what we want, right? In the future someday. And right. So how, do we, how do we get there, right? Yeah, and then, you know, what you have to – there's a lot of things we can build these days, but, you know, we, we have to demonstrate how are we going to deliver value. Why would somebody want to pay for it? And that's also part of the fun part. Well, right? yeah, within the, yeah. within the digital twin, you could probably show you know where you save, where it's a, where it's a cost effective life cycle savings, right? And in some cases, where it's, it's an environmental um, improvement, but maybe not 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 a cost uh, uh, cost savings um, life cycle yeah. deal, right? So yeah, I love it. And then we, and then where it's going, where we believe it's going with these certifications, is they're going to mandate that to get certified, you need to be able to measure it and show it to make it transparent. So that's cool. That's cool. So, all right, we're going to talk more, Raj. We should get, we should get our, uh, a couple of our engineers together. Um, we're, we're actually, we're actually, uh, I have a CEO search right now because my son uh, was a CEO of that company. He's become the CEO of our group of companies now. And uh, oh, Rob, congratulations. Robbie, Robbie before worked directly for uh, Austin in that business today, uh, Austin, uh, Austin, uh, uh, you know, took Robbie, Robbie with him because he knew of his, his character and his, uh, his strength and, and, all, and leadership. So, so Robbie has to re replace. So Robbie also looks over that business too with all of our businesses. But again, I, I would love to get our, some of our engineers together the years. You can see what we're doing. And then your, your minds will say, hey, here's what you can capture while you're out there for us. And then you guys can be the expert that we recommend to our, our, our customers as well, right? I've, I've say, only got one problem though. Yeah. One concern. Robbie's a Packer fan, evidently. Yeah, you see that, oh. don't you? I mean, oh, my God. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't see that. I, I mean, well, see that, I'm not that old. I'm not that blind. <laughs> well, we'll keep, yeah. we'll, keep Robbie, we'll keep Robbie far away then from your team, okay? Yeah, I'll stand, I'll stand on the sidelines. It's if, cool. If they would stop beating us all the time, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. But. I know. I know. We're, we're, our time is coming, okay? It's only been like 20 <laughs> years they've been kicking our butts. So we're, we're, we're going to get there. Eventually, we're going to have our 20 years run, okay? <laughs> we we're only going to have Rogers for another couple of years, so it might be game over at that point. No, you. you well, know, I'm actually you, starting to like him because I always like the veterans more than the young whippersnappers. So he's yeah. a great guy. He's a um, guy. Unfortunately, well, 
I just have one other question, and, and then, uh, Raj, we usually like to do uh, main takeaways from the conversation. Okay, but, but, hey, wait a second. Hey, Robbie, really quick. You like that idea? We got to find uh, oh, yeah. one of our team members mm-hmm. to meet up with his, uh, to Raj's, and say, Yeah, that would be terrific. Yeah. Yeah, you, you better believe it. I already had that written down, so I completely agree. Good. Yeah. Uh, so the question that I have is actually uh, right in line with the site and cohesion uh, partnership idea, but maybe more in line with ESD and, and how you guys work. So I guess my hypothesis is now that there's been such a drastic reduction in employment uh, on a macroeconomic scale, that the role of partnerships moving forward is going to become like extremely crucial uh, to the success or failure of the growth and scale of business globally. Uh, so I'm interested in just understanding how you guys have leveraged partnerships to augment scale um, having gone from worked in just the Chicago land to now a global business, and then the ways that you guys are thinking about that for the future. Yeah, well, you know, what, what I think this is going to show is that some trends that are already happening will just get accelerated. And, and maybe that's the basis of your question here. So when I talked about earlier that this whole distributed workforce model, it started happening um, and, but now it's just on steroids because we were all forced to do it. The thing with alliances, you know, and as it related to the whole globalization thing, that started a while ago too. Um, because now what happens is that um, if you're a buyer of services, if you're buying, say, the different design services you need to do the world's tallest building, you can get come to Chicago if you're building a, this building in Abu Dhabi or Jeddah. You can come to Chicago to find us, who are really that's one of our specialties. How to how to design the mechanical and electrical systems for a super tall building? We'll provide that, but we're not the the experts locally about what to do. So there'll be an alliance with us and a local engineer. And so that's been happening in our industry quite a bit from the, from the design side. And, um, and then also with the production of drawings, I mentioned to you that, that, uh, you know, our guys are the big idea guys, but we have a distributed workforce in India that helps us with production. So it's been already happening. Um, I'm not clear yet about whether that trend's going to accelerate because of this. But maybe maybe it's a logical thing that it will, given what you said about just all the disruption in in with with the labor force. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Not sure yet. Maybe a little too early for me to tell on on with my part of the industry. Right. Raj, you're you're all over the world nowadays, and it's it's really cool that you're you're serving businesses and you're serving you know these industries all over the world because you're bringing back opportunities and jobs and, and, uh, and, and income to this, this country of ours. Um, you could go anywhere. I mean, are you, your headquarters is still in Chicago? We're headquartered in Chicago and, uh, we have, uh, offices in New York and San Francisco. And then, as I mentioned before, you know, we have some people scattered throughout the country cause they don't necessarily need to be in an office. And then we have a partner in India, a production partner. And, um, and that constitutes our our office. But what you know, um, to go to Robbie's point, we're doing more alliances where we're teaming up with competitors, 
Um, you know, one of the things we're good at is doing convention centers. And so the Javits mm -hmm. Convention Center in New York was getting renovated. So they paired us with a local engineer from New York who we compete with at times. And, huh. and, and so um, there, is, there is a lot of that kind of stuff happening. Or as I mentioned before, you know, we, we created a technology group that designed security, AV systems, all, what we call low voltage systems. And so they may work on by themselves or with some of our competitors, you know, who are doing the engineering. So it's, sure. there's all kinds of different flavors out there. So and, I'm, and I'm, I'm like you, I'm, you know, all my, all our businesses are Chicago based uh, headquarters and, and most of them work all over the country. We, we don't do much outside the country yet, but we plan on with some of them. Um, so I'm asked the question, why do you stay in Illinois when the taxes continue to rise and we, you know, uh, now the highest combined tax environment in the country. What, what, what keeps you here in Illinois compared to just, I mean, you're all over. You can go, you, you could be in a, in Tennessee with the headquarters or Florida or Texas, not, you know, no income, uh, not, not income tax states, right? Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, Illinois and the state has its, its challenges. The bulk of our, our people are here. And, and so, um, you know, but Chicago still, you know, ha has some benefits. When you look at our offices in New York and San Francisco, it's still a, a, a lower cost place to live with, with great advantages, you know, and since we are working all over the country and all over the world, by having a three hub airport here in Chicago, um, that's, we can get anywhere in a day. And so that's helpful too. And so it is a concern, you know, we need to address the fiscal situation here um, for the long time, long term viability of all of our companies. Um, but but yeah, for right now, because as you, you, you think, I'm sure on an annual basis, you know, our, we have to compete and, and, and we're sometimes uh, a couple, two, three percent more than a competitor and we're not going to get work. Well, I, in, in Illinois compared to, let's say, Texas, uh, where we're in the middle of the country with great, you know, air travel, you know, access to air travel and all that, as we have in Chicago, a big difference. I mean, when, when there's not that, that uh, income tax, state income tax, right? So, um, what, what do you, you know, how do you, how do you, you have to weigh that every year. How do you do that? How do you weigh that for as a leader of this organization? And uh, I'm like you, I don't want to leave this state either. It's my home state. It's, what, it's the state I love. Um, but but eventually our competitive advantages are, are less as we stay here and our competitors go to these uh, non-income tax state state income tax states right 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 you know I mean it, it uh, right now again we have uh, you know out of our 300 people over 200 are in Chicago so you know mm -hmm. the and and and, um, and so as I said before you know the the tax rates where we are in these other states are even higher in California and New York, those yeah. other states. And so it doesn't mean, but we have to remain vigilant. Yes. And so it's, it's, it's something we're, we're keeping an eye on, but for right now, you know, we intend to, to keep our headquarters here. Great. Great. We, we, we need more of us, buddy. We need more of us. We need, <laughs> we need more of us to fight, you know, fight for competitive taxes as well. So yes. that, that we don't, we're not forced to leave. So we don't say, gosh, we've got to leave to compete, you know, um, right. you're, you're strong in differentiation as we are as well. And that's what keeps us vibrant and competitive. You know, we're always, you know, move, you know moving the uh, ball forward. If, if, and, but sometimes that, it, it's not enough. And when it's direct, 
frankly, a commoditized product to get in the door with the customer and we can't compete, right? So, so again, we always got to look at these things and, 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 and uh, use our voice when we can to communicate that, hey, you know, let's work on these things. What did I say at the beginning? Only the paranoid survive. So we always got to stay vigilant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, <laughs> hey, I, so, so Raj, we got a ton of awesome stuff out of you, brother. We, we have uh, uh, so many people learning so many things and, and, Terrific. Uh, and getting so much out of this. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing to have you on. It, Robbie always catches kind of the, the nuggets, right? The nuggets of, of uh, uh, information success that we, that we find and, and somebody like you. I mean, I mean, I took a few things from it. I mean, I tell you what, I, I love that. Exactly. What you said only the paranoid survive. We think that way constantly. It's a big, you know, it, it's going to make us different, make us think differently. Um, I love your core values. Only three. I mean, we have five and some, we have a couple that are same as yours. And then even the last one plays well with one of ours. But, uh, I, I like the, I like the, you know, the, the five E's as well, but, uh, you know, I, I got a ton out of this. I'm going to use, I'm going to, I'm going to be stealing some of your stuff here, brother. I'll, I'll, <laughs> well, it's meant I'll, to share, like you're sharing it with everyone else. I, uh, I hope uh, I can share. If I can share a couple of nuggets, then uh, that'll you, be great. You shared a bunch. Robbie's a lot sharper than me. So a lot, Robbie, what'd you get out of this, bud? That's not true. Well, hopefully we can have him back on uh, once we form a, a site and cohesion partnership. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'd love uh, to, I'd love to introduce you to our CEO. Uh, through Shiva Kumar, who uh, uh, real dynamo and and just has done a great job with cohesion. Awesome! Hey, you know, let me let me introduce you one more thing, Robbie. I didn't, I didn't tell Raj about, but here's how we're how far we're going with that business. We we partner with a company in Israel, um, and and we now can uh, we we own the rights to, to our, to, we have a license for uh, all North America. Now our, we use our drones for what we use them for when it comes to you know, getting all the imagery and all the things we do with our engineers, you know, really build the plans and everything from those. But uh, we've got a product now that's a, that's a bolt on the site. It's, and, and it's, uh, it's incredible. It's called, it's called Utilis is the name of the company that we partnered with. But they discovered uh, this, this one young engineer in Israel figured out how to understand where the water was in planets all over uh, all over our galaxy. Okay, so for oh. NASA uses his technology today. He licenses technology nowadays. If you've heard about, you know, Venus and Mars, and they're they're understanding what moisture, water uh, is on these planets, whether the ponds, lakes, oceans, whatever. Um, it's his technology that's figuring this out. So this young man uh, partnered with a really smart uh, uh, prior CEO, prior general in the in the Israeli army, and they've they've blown this. They're blowing this business up. And their, and their job, their, their main uh, product was to understand where uh, treated water was underground. So where treated, wa treated water leaks are at, okay? And they can, they can see from satellites, leaks up to a gallon an hour um, from satellites as deep as 10 feet in the ground. So you think about what wow. that does to, for, for a water utility, right? So they're currently in 25 or six countries now uh, with partnerships of big util water utilities understanding where all the leaks are, like never, you know, the most productive way to understand leaks in the ground. It's incredible. So I met them. Uh, they flew here to, see, to meet my son and I and one of our engineers, um, got to be friends with them fast. They're super innovative, really great people. Um, and they, uh, I, I, went, I sent them back home with, I said, okay, guys, I love the treated water thing. We can help do some relationships, but it's not really in our wheelhouse, but groundwater is and, wa and moisture and roofs is. If we can tell our, yeah. our, our, our customers, where the moisture problems are in roofs or groundwater below pavements, we're going to help extend the life of these, these products, right? 
And so sure enough, uh, we sent them back with a few properties where we'd already spent a lot of money understanding groundwater and, and moisture and roofs and had all the answers to these. We'd spending a ton of money with uh, ground penetrating radar. And uh, they came back with it a few months and said, okay, we got to figure it out. And they, and they had more information, better information than the you know, tens of thousands of dollars we spent on ground penetrating radar, all from satellite imagery. And so now wow. we, we, have, we have a product we opened first of the year we, cool. we uh, partnered with them on. Uh, that now we can understand groundwater in any property in the in the world uh, fast through through satellite imagery and and a technology that they use. It's like ground penetrating radar. So 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 it's really fun, right? When we, it, as you're an entrepreneur and you're and you're a leader in innovation, you get these other people and friends that say, "Hey, man, I, I got something that might, we might be able to help you with." Or, "Hey, yeah. gosh, you know, I heard about this other person that's doing this." And and and. Uh, so just like this conversation now, there's a chance that, that you know, you, our, our friendship and the, and the, and the fact that we're, we're networking here and through YPO, that our team gets together with your team and you have a product that you didn't have. And we have a product that we didn't have to differentiate us even further. All right. <laughs> so, so it can be fun. And, and, and so I, because it, it's so exciting to, to, you know, to actually change the industries we serve, not just, not just compete in them, but actually change them and, and bring them to a different, yes. different world. Right. That's what um, I think is really fun and invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome, right? And, okay, yeah. so Robbie, I'm sorry to cut you off, buddy, but I just had to go there because I, I, I'm excited <laughs> about the new products we get, we have, and, and I wanted uh, uh, I wanted a great mind and Raj to kind of know that what's going on too, because he'll 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 have some down the road to be calling me, and say, Ray, my I, I got something that might need that technology. How do how do we get to that, right? So. <laughs> no, no worries. I'll, I'll try to be speedy here, and I, I want to be conscious here time today. Uh, so I, I like to do it chronologically, just the way we went through our conversation. Uh, so taking it back to the beginning, okay. uh, the first things first was the idea of listening to your market and your audience uh, and staying ahead of the curve or with the curve in terms of innovation and in your strategy for the business. So I broke that down into three different elements for you guys in your business. And I, I prioritized talent as number one um, in relation to how you had mentioned that during the OA crisis, you actually shifted your model to focus on hiring the right talent during that time, as opposed to maybe being a little bit more reactive, yes. um, shifting your business model uh, to innovate with the times and then ultimately the technology that your company leverages. Uh, so I, I think you guys are doing a great job of that today. And I'm excited to see where that continues to go for the future. Uh, the second piece uh, was more of a generalized statement, but I think it is important for a lot of either current or future leaders to be uh, mindful of is building a succession plan early and understanding what they want that vision to look like and then baking in the right steps along the way. Uh, and, and I think that that ultimately ties into my next point, which is that you guys have done a great job of empowering your team leaders through decentralized decision-making and, and execution. Um, and, and I think if you lead, if you lead with a centralized business model, it can slow down the, the rate of innovation across an entire business. So uh, I think you guys are doing a great job of that. Uh, and my last one, uh, Gary had taken a couple of them, but my, my last one is the survive and thrive. Uh, I, I think that's a, a, an incredible takeaway for a lot of the listeners, um, especially when you're going through a time like we are today. Uh, it's just unprecedented. And I think first things first is making sure that you're transparent as an organization so that when you're working from home, at least you have a clear understanding of what the leaders at the business are thinking through on the day to day and, and how that could actually translate into their life. And I think that just builds more trust and credibility with your employees back into the business and, and uh, ultimately helps you guys through retention. And that's a stated fact for you right now. And then ultimately provide that vision for the future. If, if the pandemic's going to cause you to shift a business model, 
let the team know that and, and see if there's any feedback from them and, and ultimately carrying that forward. So thank awesome. you, Raj. Hey, so, so I'll, I'll finish up with just a couple of quick things. Uh, Raj, uh, you know, the, the other thing I, I look at, and I, I, from the outside looking in, I know you don't, you're, you're not a, a brag, braggadocious type of guy like I am. So you didn't, you, didn't talk about, you didn't talk about all the giving you guys do. I see, you know, I, you know, I see you guys step up and give back to the community a lot. Community a lot. I know that your teammates love that and your customers love that, but you don't do it. You, you do it for the reason that, that that's, that's best. And it's just to support the community that gives you so much. So we didn't get there. We didn't go there. Next time we talk to you, we'll talk about that more because Sounds uh, good. I think it's so important for us to, to be like, like, you know, like your company, SD, and, and uh, think about the communities we serve and how we get back to them. And you guys do an awesome job of that. Um, Thank and you. last, uh, last thing I got to say, you know, my, my goal is always to get people that, uh, that have lived this American dream and, and, and understand the blessings that we have uh, in this free enterprise driven, you know, marketplace to do great things. And it's, to hear your story, your father coming here and my, mom and dad coming here with a hundred bucks and your dad working hard to, to, to rise in an organization and do and have, take the risk. Uh, to go on his own is, is cool. And then, then for you as a son to admire what he did through his storytelling and then, and then, and then build further on this American dream. Uh, that's, that's the coolest. And, and uh, I really uh, respect that. And I love that part of uh, who you are. So thanks for that, man. Thanks. Thanks, for being Gary. To, to got people like me and others. So uh, thanks for that. Thank you. So coming uh, from you, that means a lot. I appreciate and, uh, it. It's awesome. And so, hey, uh, that's, uh, that's about all. We're, we're, we, all right. we, uh, we, we don't want to burn too much of your time. You'll never want to talk to us again. You'll say, oh, yeah. <laughs> again. Not, not a two-hour conversation again. So, uh, well, we I, hope, to- uh, I hope you and your audience will get something out of this. So I appreciate it. Oh, man. It. Absolutely, brother. So thanks for everything. Right. Really appreciate your time. Let's get together in the near future, all right? Why don't you take me golfing? Don't I, you have that <laughs> golf course. Yeah, oh, you make you make the date. <laughs> hey, 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 Flash, make the date and bring out bring out a couple of your your teammates that I can meet, introduce to Robbie and maybe Austin. Great uh, idea to, to see if there's some fit with some stuff we're talking about. So okay, you do do that anytime you want in the next few weeks. We'd love to see that. Okay, wonderful. All right, brother. Yeah. Great talking. That's the way to do it. All, All right, right, guys. Hey, Thanks, uh, Robbie. Thanks, time, Gary. Until next time on Ditch Digger CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Told I was called Ditch Digger for living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, 
scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. 